0: DJ PK, it's time to welcome in David Locke. His weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning,
1: David James. Good morning, Patrick. How is greatness this morning? About
0: the same as every other morning.
1: (laughs) Well, PK's never this. Oh, yeah, he is very regular. I've heard this too many times. Never mind. (laughs) Gross. You know, when you host a morning show for like 72 years, have you <laughs> ever thought about how many hours your loyal listeners have spent with you and how like how much they know about you and how, I mean, I know David, you try to make sure they know nothing about you, but even <laughs> under your greatest <laughs> attempts, they actually know stuff yep, about you they do. because of the amount of hours. Like it's like I It's like I think about my podcast. Like I do a 30 minute podcast. If somebody listens four times a week, they're spending two hours with me. Like they're spending like eight hours with you. How many people, let's go with like two hours. How many people do you spend two hours with in a week? My old lady.
0: Yeah. Family. Immediate family. I'm not that's sure if my it.
1: wife actually wants two hours a week with me. I think that might be a lot for her, particularly considering the fact I used to travel like ninety days a year and I've been home for thirteen months straight. But that's a side note. Um uh, I think that so the uh, uh I'm joking up. actually. Um what was that, DJ?
0: So funny you bring that up. I've had people like, Well, you do radio in the morning, you do TV at night, I mean, how much are you home? And you know, how do you maintain a relationship? Like, my wife doesn't complain when I leave <laughs>
1: <laughs> well I have, I have said this and I mean this as a compliment to my wife and it's actually like the message that like sometimes I'll share with like people if they're asking me but like I think my wife is the person who needs me the least of any person I've ever met in my whole life <laughs> like it's probably why we're fine like, she, like hey if you're around it's great I love having you around but like I don't need you like I'm totally good on my own I'm pretty like self sufficient I got two masters degrees like I'm way smarter than you you can like you know, uh, and I don't have to be the Disneyland sweeper when you're not home, so um, it's all good. She refers to herself as the Disneyland sweeper since I'm such a mess maker.
2: Wow, that's interesting that you bring up her academic credentials because I think all three of us, our spouses, have higher academic cre- credentials
1: than we have. Yeah. By the way, yep. you know those people that listen to us all the time? They're not surprised to hear this.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you said that like it's a revelation. Anyone right. who's heard the three of us is not surprised. Right. People have better academic accolades than we do.
0: <sighs> David, I want you to look into the future now. When we talk to you. I want to talk about. I'm derailing the show. I found uh, something this morning in my research,
1: and I want to share it with you. All right, Can I do that?
0: Sure, why not? <laughs>
1: So we've talked all year about Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert Mm -hmm. and how they figured each other out offensively. Yeah. But actually the real story of the season is they figured each other out defensively. Like the defense is seven points per hundred possessions better this year when Gobert and Conley are on the floor together than it was last year. So maybe that's just Mike being healthy. But that's pretty interesting to me because they're playing, well, two things. Mike went from playing 67% of his minutes with Rudy to 93% of his minutes with Rudy this year. So that's a pretty big change. And Mike was actually, we were totally all wrong last year in our analysis. Mike was really bad when he was on the floor with someone other than Rudy. And he was really good when he was on the floor with Rudy. His numbers offensively are almost exactly the same as what they were last year with Rudy. And last year when he was off with Rudy, he shot like 36% and 22% from three. But the real story is that these guys figured something out defensively or the team did. And I don't, it's strange to me because our starting five is the same, right? Boyan didn't just become like some long, lengthy, great defensive three and Royce is still the same. So it's, it's, I'm curious. I'll ask Quinn tonight in the coaches show actually about this. I like, I'm wondering what happened that they figured what they figured out defensively. Cause that is actually the story of the season as much as anything. And why they've gone from being the 11th ranked defensive team to the number two defensive ranked team. The defense with our story that we're telling is we added Derek Favors and so our defense has gone from 11th to 2. That's actually not true. The defense with Derek Favors on the floor is virtually the exact same as what it was last year with Rudy off the floor. So that what has actually happened is the defense with Rudy has gotten way better than it was a year ago, and it's really with Mike Conley and Rudy. Okay, I just had to share. I'm sorry. To derail your show, take over again.
0: Well, I feel like I need to follow up on that right now. Is it any more complex, or maybe it is, but at least 90% of the deal is, if Rudy's on the floor and you're one of the other four defenders – You've got you've to be up on your guy and give them no room to shoot a jumper. And if you get beat off the dribble, so what? They're going into Rudy. But don't foul him and put him at the free throw line. And don't give them, a, give them an uncontested jumper. And if, if you live by those two rules, given who Rudy is and how he plays, defensively, aren't you going to be a pretty good, if not great, NBA team?
1: Well, this is why we allow the fewest threes of anyone in the league because of that principle. And then we think we're about ninth or tenth in the league at shots at the rim and teams shoot. Are you ready for this note? 14 percentage points lower at the rim when Rudy is there as a defender than mm-hmm. average. 14%. So, yes, there's something that Rudy is so great. Like, I think we know, but I'm not even sure we totally know. Like, we know way more than the rest of the country because we watch him every night. But I'm not, and I'm like, you know, have my mansion on top of Go Bear Island and the rest of the population is now emigrating in and I'm going to have to build a wall or something. But, like, it is, even for myself, who's like the biggest Rudy supporter in the world, I'm actually not sure that I fully get his impact on the game. Like, to some extent, in just the simplest form, like our narrative last year was Mike Conley struggling, and this year it's he's not, well, he's playing with Rudy for 93% of his minutes now. Who who was the guy that wasn't struggling last year that is struggling this year? Boyan. Boyan played 93% of his minutes with Rudy last year and 67% this year. Like the Jazz flipped the rotation and let Conley play all of his minutes with Rudy, and Boyan's not playing all of his minutes with Rudy anymore. Like, it, I don't know if it's that simple, but I'm beginning to wonder if... Not only is he just the greatest defensive player in the world, but he just makes everyone's offensive life so much better with what he does. And, you know, screen assist is this cute stat, but there's absolutely nothing different than a screen assist than an actual assist, if you think about it. And so we've always talked about point guards, John Stockton, Isaiah Thomas, Chris Paul, and how much better they make everyone. Devin Booker's actually the exact same as he was a year ago, side note. We've all talked about that. But the fact of the matter is, Rudy's doing the exact same thing as a point guard by freeing people, getting people open, presence, gravity. It's just incredible.
2: Wow, that's awesome, man. This franchise is going to have the leader in career assists and the leader in career screen assists. That, and it is worth a banner, <laughs> damn it. That's where I was going.
1: <laughs> you bet. <laughs> So, I need someone to screen – I need somebody who's good at Photoshop to send me at DLock09 on Twitter a screenshot – a Photoshop with the new banner, Rudy Gobert, all-time screen assist leader, yeah. right next to John Stockton and Mark Eaton.
2: <laughs> well, I guess maybe get back in 10 years, and, and uh, maybe we'll, we'll see that up there. And That's all uh, – it's all fascinating stuff, no question. Uh, one of the things that has gotten me mystified is how, at 33 years of age, <clears throat> is Joe Ingles not only elevated elevated his game, but he's elevated like almost like a certainly borderline
1: all-star level. How do I explain that? So I think, one, you got to give Joe great credit. I think I listened to him with you, and he talked to – either this interview or the last one, don't tell Joe, but I actually like make sure I hear that show every time. Um, But I think he talked about Renee and her nutrition and stuff and how he's kind of followed in that step. So I do think he just deserves great credit for this body's way better than it was before. And he's worked really hard at that. Um, Quinn deserves great credit last year during the bubble. I found a stat and I need to actually go update it that Joe was the number one shooter in the NBA in like the first six seconds of the shot clock, I think it was. Um, Might have been first eight seconds, but Joe was the best in the NBA over the last three years in the first six seconds of the shot clock. My biggest frustration with Joe last year, particularly in the playoffs and in the bubble, was he was so obsessed with going back to get the ball because he wanted his hand to play pick and roll because he really wants to be a point guard. And you even heard him joking about that whole Mike Conley thing this week when he was on with you about how they joke about how they both can't play well if everyone's healthy, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's because they both want their ball in the hands. But the problem for is with Joe doing that is he takes away his greatest strength and his greatest strength is getting up the floor and getting that early transition three. And that's where he's actually the best player in the entire league. Like he's the best over the last three years, when he shoots in the first six to eight seconds in the shot clock, there's nobody better, and so you're seeing Quinn has opened up this door to the whole team, and set and basically Joe's taking advantage. Quinn had a fascinating comment on the Zoom yet, uh, the other day about how Jordan Clarkson's kind of unabashed gunnerisms or whatever you want to call it of like just has freed everyone else on the team. Like, well, if Jordan can get away with it, then I can get away with it. But it's led to this freedom of how they're playing. And Joe in particular is who Quinn talked about as seeing, like, well, if Jordan can do that, I'm going to do it. But that's exactly what they wanted out of Joe this whole time is that they wanted Joe to get up floor, get that early pass, or when he leads the break to do it faster, not waiting for Rudy for his pick-and-roll or faves for his pick-and-roll. But to get up the floor and take that three, and Joe is just tremendous early in the shot clock with his three-point shooting, and that's what's changed his game this year. It's a historic season. It's so much more valuable and important that anyone is taking an understanding of. This is the, like, last thing for this league to figure out, is that, like, Kyle Korver five years ago when Atlanta won 60 and no one knew why – was the only player to ever have a better shooting year than Joe. Quite frankly, we're on the pace to win 60, like, equivalently, and no one's quite sure why. Like, well, the reason is because of Joe Ingles. And Joe, I can make a really strong argument that Joe Ingles is the most positively impactful offensive player with his possessions. I mean, actually, that's just true. I don't even have to make the argument of I mean, anyone on our on our roster, So, um, including Donovan, including anyone else. So when you suddenly start – kind of trying to figure out what this means. It means everything. It's incredible. Then you add in that he's just such an elite level pick and roll player. And that's a little bit of the trick with him is that, you know, hey, you're a great pick and roll player, but you're actually even better at this other aspect of the game. So please get down the floor so we can get you the ball.
0: So it was viewed as gimmickry, but was Paul Westhead right 30 years ago when he had Loyola Marymount running up and down the court, gunning, trying to score 150 points? Was he really onto it?
1: Yeah. Um, You know, what's interesting is I actually watched that 30 for 30 yesterday, um, like, over again. Like, I got Roku, and, like, it just comes up really easily on my Roku, and I was like, oh, I'll watch that again. So I watched that whole 30 for 30 on Paul Weston. Yes, I I mean, Quinn has talked about it all season long, that there is – that, you know, everyone talks about good to great, and he's like, you know what, we did the analysis, and really, really good is actually, at times, is better than – what we were going to get otherwise. So if you got really, really good early, go, go grab it. And if you look at the jazz from 18 to 24 on the shot clock. So first six seconds, we take seven threes a game. We shoot 41% on those threes. It's the most of anyone in the NBA. And the only team that actually shoots them better than us in that span is Sacramento. Oh, I take it back is New York, but they don't take them. They take two a game. So that doesn't count. Um, is Sacramento at 41.5, and they don't take quite as many. If you take it to the first nine seconds of the shot clock, I believe we're slightly behind Milwaukee, but we still make about 39 to four, about 39.5 percent, and we're taking 16 threes a game in the first nine seconds of the shot clock, and that's when Joe's at his best.
2: If everything holds, and this may be a little bit premature, but stay with me here, if that's the way it plays out, as it, as we expect at this point where we are right now, the stuff that you just mentioned, is that the formula to beat the Lakers in
1: the second round? Yeah, it's the only way to beat the Lakers because their half-court defense is so great. By the way, I just pulled this up. This is incredible. You ready? This is great. I didn't actually know how to find this. I just found it. Joe Ingles has taken sixty threes. Let me make sure this is right. In the first six seconds of the shot clock this year. 60. How many things he's made? Sixty. 30. 33. <laughs> nice. <laughs> he's His age. How about that? Three of 60 when he takes a three in the first six seconds of the shot clock. I mean, the key is that this team's got to keep running. They've got to keep pushing ahead. This is when they struggle offensively. And then when they play the Clippers and they play the Lakers, who are so long, you know, th- that's, they've got to be able to play this way. Listen to these numbers. I mean, uh, this is where Paul Westhead is exactly right. First six seconds of the shot clock, Royce 41 Conley 41%, Donovan 38%, Bogdanovich 39%, Clarkson 40%, and Joe Ingles 55%. But 40% is 1.2 points per shot. That's the best. That's better than many. Like, that's the best offense in the NBA. So if you can get that shot, you got to take it. And even if you take the next three seconds, where we've taken a ton, all the guys are good except for Donovan. Joe is taking 62 additional threes from 15 to 18 on the shot clock. He's shooting 42%. From 15 to 18. So now we're in early offense, probably... Right, got down the floor first six seconds, made an extra pass or two, but we pushed it ahead enough so we're playing with an advantage. Clarkson's thirty eight, Conley's forty, Bogdanovich is thirty eight, Joe's forty two, George is forty, Royce is forty three. Only Donovan, who's probably walking into a three and not playing in the same manner there is thirty three percent. Like that's a bad shot because our offense is, is good and Donovan can get a better shot throughout the he's so talented he can get a shot better than that. I yeah, we these early, first nine seconds of shot clock threes are a hundred percent how the Jazz have to win in the NBA playoffs, and a hundred percent how um, that Paul Westhead had something going on there. Now, the lack of defense on the other side by Paul Westhead might not have been exactly right because <laughs> we get those shots off our defense.
0: So, when you give me all those all those stats about scoring early in the shot clock. I assume that most of those shots, and as I close my eyes and try to visualize jazz games, that most of those shots are uncontested. And that's really what's driving those numbers up, is that when you run, you're getting uncontested shots, and Donovan's numbers could be lower because he's shooting his off the dribble. And when you're flying up court and you have to stop and get on balance to shoot a three, that's great if you're Steph Curry. It's really hard if you're anybody else on planet Earth.
1: Um. I think Quinn is willing to have those be somewhat contested. I think that's the change that Quinn made for this for this team this year is that those shots take them if you're kind of open. I think there was a feeling you had to take you could only take them if you were totally open beforehand. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so I think his feeling is... that That's Jordan Clarkson. Right. I might be and open, he, and other guys will hold on to it, and Jordan Clarkson, I might be open, it's going up. And Quinn says, we need more Jordan Clarksons.
1: Right, and that Jordan Clarkson has opened up to the rest of the guys to feel a little bit more willing to, to do that.
2: How concerned are you with the Lakers having Drummond? How much of a difference do you think he can make?
1: The more drumming, the better. Explain. Uh, I think he's... So, he's a really interesting player. I don't want to just totally criticize him. It would be really fun for talk radio to do that, but probably having some responsibility as a, you know, play-by-play announcer in the league. But, um, you know, he's really interesting because he's got quick hands. He's got pretty deft, light feet. Um, he's got a decent little second jump. He's a... He's thought of as a good rebounder. I'm not totally convinced that he's a big out-of-area rebounder, but he's not quick in transition. So to what our point is right here, like if we're changing ends of the floor quickly, I would far rather have him on the floor. Marcus is not either. That's like one of, that's the Lakers weakness. I think is that they're the number one team in the league in transition defense to their credit. Frank Vogel is just a great defensive coach. Frank Vogel is not being talked about for coach of the year, but what he's done defensively without AD and LeBron, I think should be put him in that consideration. Um, he is a really, really bad offensive player. In fact, he's one of the most detrimental offensive players in the league. No touch. Um, his three for 12 game against Rudy is not uncommon. So any possession that he uses that is not being used by lebron ad for that matter contavious caldwell pope i'm all good with and i don't think he's a great pick and roll defender either i could look up the numbers on that but my instinct is he's not a great pick and roll defender and so whereas ad is and so if you can get them i mean they're a great pick and roll defensive team again their defense is just awesome um, but I, I feel like you could take advantage of him in the pick-and-roll defense. With the Lakers this year, he's only in the 62nd percentile in pick-and-roll defense, which you know is not ter- terrible, but it's that's a really good defensive team. I think if we went to Cleveland earlier this year and looked at his pick-and-roll defense, maybe that's irrelevant. It's in the 29th percentile. He's a bad pick-and-roll defender.
0: And now I'm going to ask you, before we go, I'm going to ask you the question I had planned to start the interview with before you derailed things. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you'd enjoy that.
1: But I I put on a really good show today, so that's
0: all right. Oh, you always do. Your money. So, one week from today, the Jazz play the Suns. Thanks to the Suns' loss in Boston, third game in four days, second night of the back-to-back, they're now two games behind the Jazz. How far are they going to be behind the Jazz next Friday when we visit with you?
1: So I have said the entire time, maybe a little overly dramatic. If the race is not over by the time the jazz play the suns, it's a problem for the jazz. And so the race is over if it's four, three or four. Um, but if it's still two, and the Jazz lose that game, it gets to one. The Suns have a better schedule the rest of the way after that, and they have the tiebreaker. And it's fair to think that they would get it to one. So the Jazz need it to be, preferably, I thought it could be at four. I thought it was going to be at four. And, um, they really need it. It'd be nice if it's at four, go next, go Nets, but I think that's unlikely. So you've, like, you better hope it's at three. If it's at two, like it is right now, uh, I'm not
0: sure who I think gets the one seat. He's David Locke. He's here every Friday. David, thank you very much. And you're there every day, and
1: they know everything about you, so worry about it, DJ.
0: Okay, I will. See you. Thanks. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Everything you missed in this show coming up next. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Sam Amick writes for The Athletic and joins us each and every Thursday. Individually, Joe Ingles, Sam, this guy got cut by the Clippers a few years ago, <laughs> and now he's
1: playing like uh, one of the most important players on a team with the best record in the NBA. It's a thing of beauty to watch. I couldn't agree more. Remember that old TV show, Punk, when he set up a whole skit and try to trick people? I mean, I would love to wander out to a court with Joe Ingles in, in a neighborhood where they don't know who he is and, and take a bunch of people's money, white men can't jump style, because what he does is incredible but it's so unassuming. He's been great, and they obviously have a great thing going. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust, on 97.5, 1280, The Zone, in The Zone Sports Network.
0: Kemba, six on the shot clock, feeling contact, launches a three, and even that goes. That was just a shot he took to draw a foul, and even that falls for him tonight.
2: Ingram, left wing, Harris on the closeout. Yeah, I didn't pull the trigger. Now he does pull the trigger. Left wing. Splashed it down for three. Giannis
1: a pull-up three-pointer. ABC. Easy as one, two, three for the MVP. Now to Caldwell. Pope on the drive. Tried to stuff it. Missed it. Rebound missed by Kuzma. a bound by Doncic, Runs it the other way. Three on three. Coming straight down the lane. Lays it up and in.
0: DJ and PK, time to catch up on everything you missed in this show. The Jazz were off last night. It was a light schedule on a Thursday night with the TNT doubleheader, as it often is. The game that matters most to Jazz fans was the Boston Celtics beating the Phoenix Suns 99-86. The Suns were going back-to-back, and they were playing for the third time in four games. And PK, if you thought that might lead to a little fatigue and impact their three-point shooting, you were right. 17%. And Chris Paul... He was 3 of 7. Everybody else was 3 of 28. Yikes.
2: Oh. Yeah, that's interesting. And Crowder wasn't there. He's got a sprained ankle himself, so he's out a little bit. And they moved Cam Johnson into the starting lineup, and Johnson is in there. He's pretty much in the NBA for his three-point shooting. He couldn't hit a shot. But yeah, Chris Paul, the oldest dude on the team at 35, playing 38 minutes, man. Third game in four nights, as you said. That's really incredible that they're pushing Chris Paul that much in a single game after having such a heavy load. It's admirable. I don't know if it's smart, but it's admirable. And he has a decent game, and and the other guys don't.
0: Yeah, he was really good. 22 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. Made 50% of his shots, 3 of 7 from beyond the arc. But Cam Johnson was 0 for 6. Bridges was 1 for 9. I mean, those two guys alone are 1 of 15 and the bench was 2 of 11, and the bench guys don't play as many minutes. I've always thought when you're going back-to-back or three games in four days, it's where your bench really needs to be good because if you're playing 34 minutes a game and you're a starter, I get why you would be a little fried by the time you got to the third game in four nights, but if you're a bench guy who's playing 10, 15, 20 minutes a game, I would think you'd be fine in the third game in four nights. Okay. But the bench guys had nothing, kept 2 of well, 11 from 3.
2: As you would say, a couple of things going on here. Yes. They're bench guys. Right. And they're bench guys because they're not as consistent. So they're that's part of the reason. And, and I think that the, the three games and four nights and stuff mm-hmm. isn't just related to the actual game. It's the travel. Yep. And all that stuff that's involved that really has no bearing on the actual minutes uh, as far as that goes. But yet it still can take a lot out of you. But I also think it's more that you're a bench guy because you're inconsistent. And when I look at Phoenix's role, that's not always true, by the way, but I think in the guys on the Phoenix bench it is. And I look at Phoenix's team compared to the Jazz, is they basically have Chris Paul to run the offense. And then the second option is Chris Paul, and the third option is Chris Paul. Whereas the Jazz, they've got multiple guys. Yes. They basically have three guys. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Conley and Joe can do it, and Donovan can do it if you need him to do it, too. And I don't think this, the the Suns really have that. I think that it is something that they're missing there. It's Chris Paul, and then you sort of ham and egg it at that point.
0: And see, that's the thing. is like, why are teams that are good in the regular season not good in the playoffs? And I think when you're counting on your depth, your depth is more important in the regular season in the playoffs— You don't have back-to-backs very often, if at all. Usually the only reason you get a back-to-back is because you have a seven-game series, and then you got to get back on track in the next series. So they're going to be pretty rare. You have to win a seven-game series or be playing a team that won a seven-game series to get a back-to-back. So you just don't get back-to-back or three and four days very often. Guys are rested. Starters play bigger minutes, so the Jazz can keep doing what they're doing, but a team like the Suns, it's an upgrade because Chris Paul is going to – you know, be able to be out on the court more. Now, 38 minutes is an awfully big number, and we've seen him break down in the playoffs so many times. you got to wonder. But he's playing at such a high level, I get why they don't want to take him out. I mean, he's playing really well, and nobody else was. So obviously they wanted to keep him in the game.
2: And they don't have as many options. They don't. They, they really they don't. don't have any options there.
0: Uh, the other games, the Lakers lost to the Mavericks, 115-110. Anthony Davis is back. He played 17 minutes. He's been out basically two months, 30 games. And it was real short stints, three minutes, four minutes, six minutes. It was all in the first half. They didn't play him in the second half. And that's I, weird. I know, and I don't know. So I don't know if there's something going on. He did not look happy sitting on the bench in the second half. And whether that's because there was some kind of pain or irritation or what, uh, we don't know that right now, but it'll make itself clear going forward, I guess. We'll see if they'll either increase those minutes or they won't. And if they don't, everybody will want to know why, and we'll see how that plays out. But are the Lakers going to be healthy for the playoffs? Is there a bigger question in the NBA right now?
2: I'm trying to run through right off the top yeah, of my I know. Dad. There's a
0: lot of good questions, but are the defending champs, and LeBron James, who's been the best player in the game for a decade or more, Uh, are they going to be healthy?
2: If you put it that way, I think the answer is no. But there's obviously questions. The Suns and Jazz have it Mm -hmm. because the Suns have zero playoff history and the Jazz had limited. And obviously Paul George, uh, what can he do? Uh, Can Damon Lillard carry his team to a playoff victory? How will the Nuggets do without uh, Jamal Murray? And I'm just focused on the West.
0: Are the Nets going to be healthy is an easy question and an important one. So there's a lot of questions out there, and and maybe it's because we're in the West and the Jazz can see the Lakers in the second round. But to me, that's just the question: if the Lakers are healthy, can the Jazz run enough and get enough points in transition and beat the champs? And and healthy comes in a lot of forms, you know. Maybe they're maybe they maybe they're missing guys, you know. I, I would think LeBron to be back. I, I really do wonder if AD is going to be able to play. Uh, and then even if guys are playing, are they you know 70 or 80% but they're not 100% and that changes stuff, so I think there's a lot to, to figure out there going forward. And for the Jazz, we were doing the math earlier, that, that series, assuming it happens, would be about five weeks away.
2: Well, I have a little clock in my room uh, <laughs> and I have a, the countdown to the Lakers series.
0: As well you should. I think a lot of people are hearing that and thinking, I need a countdown clock like PK.
2: Even though I don't know when it's going to begin, the exact date.
0: Nope, nobody does. Can't know. Uh, we talked about a, uh, a few other things today. Urban, are you going to pull for him? It seemed a little bit of a split. We'll get to the feedback from people hitting us up on Twitter. Are you going to pull for Urban now that he's in Jacksonville? You know, I, I think one thing that will make it hard, unless you have the NFL ticket, and is. How much do you think they're going to be on TV? How much are we going to see these guys that they'll really be front and center? I mean, last year we got a pretty steady diet of the Bucks, the Chiefs, the Broncos, and the Raiders. We saw at least 12 games, and sometimes 13 or 14, from those four teams. And their other teams were pretty predictable. We got a lot of Packers. I think they were on 10 or 11 times, something like that. So we're going to get yeah. those teams again.
2: But, but nobody turns in tunes into a game to watch a guy coach. So you can watch the highlights and all
0: that. So well, they're only going to be on if they win, and they're only going to win if their rookie quarterback is uh, doing well, which seems like a big ask.
2: Right. So you're uh, you're you're tuning in to watch Trevor Lawrence. You're not tuning in to watch Urban Coach. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Coaching. I mean that. Uh, not entirely, but that's essentially what you're doing all week. And no one's televising coaching. Uh, the game is. It's time for the players. Uh, to do their thing. And I will be interested to see to what level of success Trevor Lawrence has his first year because he's as big a name a quarterback that probably has ever come in uh, since maybe Peyton Manning. I'm
0: trying to think. Luck? Andrew Luck, Luck. was
2: big. Luck was big, but I don't think his team had – he had a high level of success, but Clemson's having big-time success right? mm-hmm. in a playoff every year. Right, and and Peyton Manning,
0: Cam Newton, Cam Newton was the number one pick, came in off a, off a title. He did Heisman,
2: but it was, it was like a one season
0: stand. Yeah, Peyton him. had four. Yeah, it's just a different era now, isn't it? Peyton had four years to build up the hype, and he had the name. That's the other thing. He had his dad's name, and that adds sizzle to the story.
2: Yeah, and I understand his nephew is uh, going to his junior year. Mm-hmm. And is supposed to be all that yeah. Arch they call him.
0: Yeah, Arch Manning.
2: Yeah.
0: Another generation of genius Manning quarterbacks on the way.
2: Good for Archie and Olivia.
0: Other stuff we talked about: the Dodgers and Padres hooking up in another series. The Padres got back over five hundred by beating the Dodgers. Turned a double play with the bases loaded in the eighth to get out of the inning. Struck out the side in the ninth and beat the Dodgers 3-2, opening a four-game series. It'll be the Sunday night game, so you got that going on.
2: The Sunday night game, how about tonight and tomorrow?
0: Don't know. Don't know. Read a story about the series, and they mentioned the Sunday night game. I would think there'd be some way to get those games on. MLB Network or Absolutely. something. Well, MLB Network, Network,
2: you know what they, they gave us? MLB the, Tonight. The Giants and the MLB football. Football.
0: It's, MLB, it's MLB Tonight, I see it. Yeah.
2: So it's on MLB Network tonight and tomorrow? Mm-hmm.
0: Tonight it is. I'll check for tomorrow.
2: Well, he just said both oh, nights. Oh, I, I was talking. I didn't yeah, hear it. it's both nights.
0: For right. will no be right. Friday, Saturday, and then ESPN on Sunday.
2: What time uh, Saturday?
0: 7 o'clock.
2: Oh, cool. Arc time 7. Mm-hmm. Sweet.
0: There you go. So you got that in prime time.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: RSL's opening the season this week in Minnesota. That's a place that they have had little to no success. One point point in five trips up there played a scoreless game up there and got a point at the end of last year.
2: So how are you guys supposed to be this year?
0: Uh picked low, very low. In some cases dead last, but certainly below, out of the playoffs picture. All Can't the we just say last, predictions. Do we
2: have to say dead last. Dead last. Man.
0: Jeez. In some cases next to last. Uh they've been as high as 10th, but that won't get you to the playoffs, so. It will not. 10th to 13th. What, what's going is the on with range. the
2: ownership there too? Uh
0: nothing. Nothing on the surface. So the league's running it? Nothing, yes. And I think that the prevailing thought is that an owner who's buying in, uh, does the owner have to come in and, and lose millions in a pandemic with limited attendance in a league where attendance – I mean, attendance is important important uh, revenue source for any league, but especially in that league. It's higher percentages on that uh, game day attendance. So that's a pretty big hit to take. So wait until the end of the season and – Assume that we're in a much better shape with the pandemic and more people are coming in and the team will be sold then.
2: So what will be the allowable attendance figures at home games this season now?
0: I think they're starting at about half full 10,000. I'm not 100% positive on that. And the home opener is still a week away. And they got to work with the county health department and all the local jurisdictions and everything. So I don't know if that's set, but that was a number I'd heard discussed. Last year they were doing... I think four or five thousand, and that was obviously pre-vaccinations and all that. Um, so yeah, you, know, I mean, you can kind of compare it to the Jazz, but the Jazz are indoors and they're outdoors. Indoors, of course, yeah, so it's a big difference. The so wind's blowing and blah blah blah. Yeah. So, I think ten, um, and we'll see if it gets tweaked. If it's eight or twelve, I won't be surprised. I'm sure they'll be.
2: And what's the place? hold, twenty.
0: Yeah. Yep. So about half full. and that that opener's next week. They have Kansas City in here. And you remember Kansas City. We hate them. We hate them. They hate us. There was some serious hate <laughs> there, but those players are gone. But there were players who absolutely loved each other, but they're gone now.
2: Oh, yeah. So. It's it's, it's just one of the historic rivalries in
0: sports. <laughs> Red Sox Yankees, Lakers Celtics, our Celtics yeah. Sporting Kansas City.
2: Oh, I, I I don't even know if I would wait that long.
0: There were there were yeah, there were some players who really loathed each other. But time marches on.
2: Well, Nielsen and Ramondo at both ends of the field. <laughs> just feel the tension.
0: 110 yards away. So help me, I'm gonna come down there and smack you in the face. Good pull on Nielsen though, that was nice. <laughs> Uh Weber State playoff game, Southern Illinois tomorrow. Can Weber State score enough points to win that game? The defense has been steady. The offense, as they rotate different quarterbacks based on health and different running backs based on health, the offense has been spotty. Can they crank it up, score 30 points, and win the game? If they score 30, they ought to win, because the Weber State defense has been pretty good. But 30's been an elusive number for the offense, and they certainly have had injuries. So we'll see how that goes. That's 2 o'clock tomorrow. No TV for that, PK. You've got to have your ESPN3. It's streaming only. Well,
2: they're the only Wildcats I root for.
0: There you go. Arizona Wildcats. People follow along. All right, DJ PK, that's what we've been talking about. When we come back, your feedback. A lot of people weighing in on if they will or will not root for Urban Meyer. Stay with us. And that's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. <laughs> JPK, it's 97-5 and 1280 the zone. Just clicking around, PK. I just saw a story here during the break. Missouri wrestling is returning to the Big 12. They left the Big 12 for the SEC. The SEC doesn't wrestle. There were hard feelings. The Big 12 wouldn't let them stay. So they went to the Mac. Now they're coming back. And there's rumors out there that somebody who left the Big 12 wants to return. And, of course, that hasn't been done and will be quite the story if it's actually done. Um, and I don't think it would be Nebraska or a and uh, but Missouri, Arkansas, Colorado, Arkansas. Arkansas. You could throw Arkansas being a Southwest Conference team, kind of going back to the Big 12, but not really. If one of those three did, maybe, you know, if one goes back, then that opens the door for uh, a BYU thing, and a, a BYU move to the Big 12. <laughs> yeah! Oh, <laughs> yeah.
2: That'd be awesome. Is it Missouri? Or what would they do? They, if, oh, okay, if, what would it do with Colorado then? Because then you got a, you got a. Uh,
0: yeah, then the Pac-12 needs a team. If it if it is Colorado, I don't think it oh, is. Okay. I don't know. Honestly, if I had to bet, I would bet it's somebody might be unhappy, but it's just talk and zero of them go back. I think that's the most likely scenario. But. If one did and one was unhappy and the money was good enough, you know it's hard to believe somebody's going to leave SEC money.
2: Once belong,
0: yeah. Three of them, three of the five left for SEC money, and Nebraska led for the left for the Big Ten, Uh, Colorado for the Pac-12. So, are you going to leave SEC money? Can you not win in the SEC? You know, all questions. We're closing in on it. It's 2021 now, so three to four years here of TV negotiations and conference movement. If it's going to happen. But the next round of TV contracts, all 24 and 25. So we're, we're closing in on it.
2: Feedback would well, be sweet for BYU, obviously.
0: Yeah. Feedback for uh, today. Are Ute fans going to root for Urban Meyer in the NFL? And Chris says, I'll tune in to see if Urban's face turns Utah red with all the losing he'll be doing that he's not used to. I can't remember if he had any good sideline antics. You know, headset throwing, clipboard smashing. I'll be watching for that. Yeah. <laughs> And that's not think, a cougar. He's got a he's got a Utah football uh, logo as his avatar there. So he's I a, think
2: Urban's issues are internal rather than external. It might help if he were to be able to let stuff out. I don't know. I'm not. I have no idea. But it seems like he internalized a lot of stuff, which led to some health issues. Maybe possibly. I, I mean, I'm not a doctor here, but I can't remember. I mean, he, all, all coaches have some form of expression out on the sidelines, one one way or another. I once had a coach tell me that his mother told him, would you knock off all the swearing? (laughs)
0: Because
2: the camera's on you a lot.
0: So who has the least expression? I would go with Andy Reid. Pretty stoic. I don't remember seeing a lot. Bronco didn't show a lot either. Yeah, Bronco. He showed
2: that emotion when they had that great goal line stand against Boise. Oh, that
0: was awesome. Yeah. the most driven
2: of them too, and that was the best goal line stand in the history of goal line stands. He had impressive. one of those.
0: He had a similar celebration of Virginia that went viral. That's why I saw it. So,
2: oh. He had one when they when they beat Tech, I think for the first time.
0: Mm. So yeah, I think you're right. I think it was a Virginia Tech game.
2: Yeah, and and certainly he did when the Beck to Harleen has you'd have to be a dead person.
0: (laughs) Zero pulse, zero blood pressure. Yeah, I mean,
2: that was just what a game. What a freaking game that was. That thing will live on for a thousand years. And so, obviously, on that play, he went nuts. And I, I don't remember, but he probably would have had something on the Mangum to Matthews one, too.
0: He did. How, how he was. Not? He was running on the field, like hands up, like headset flowing behind him, type of a yeah. deal. Mean, how could you
2: not? When you, if your team wins on a hail mary, uh, obviously on that situation there. So uh, yeah, I, and I and I Lavelle was obviously known for that, and I I think it's important to have a steady sense. Herb Edwards doesn't do a whole
0: lot. Uh huh either. No, I, I'm with you on, on the study thing. A long time ago, uh, Al Luganbill pacing the San Diego State headlines and they made a joke out of it Side with lines, like how many yeah. steps did he take up and down the sideline during a game. But I always thought that it was like he was so nervous. There's this nervous energy and that that just goes to the team. Uh, so a, yeah, a little a little study. And you can have some fire and come off and greet team, guys after big plays. I mean, you're not teaching a, a you know a, an English class up there. So you can be a little fired up. But not too high, not too well, low. If you're going to say it, you need to behave it.
2: I think that that was important for Sean Miller. I think he squeezed yes. so much.
0: Yes, good example.
2: And the sweating and all yep. that stuff. And then like, it just, you, your players are looking at you. Like, <laughs>
0: and they're getting stressed just looking at you.
2: Yeah, I, I tell this story. I uh, I was a bowler uh, on an intramural team when I went to Northern Arizona. And I hardly showed up in the regular season, but in the pl- they had, they literally had playoffs, right? Intramural bowling team. And it was a three-man team, and you had to have the three guys, and you had to be in the dorm and all that stuff. And so I had to go, and I had to get seven pins to win the whole thing. And I stand up there, and I look behind, and, and the guys, they were they were on their hands and knees. I mean, they were just – I looked at the both of
0: those guys. Dude, you're making me nervous here. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get the seven pins? Yeah. Nice. yeah. I, I mean, I had two – yeah, two uh, balls to get seven pins. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah. It wasn't that hard. I mean, I could have granny styled it right down the middle. <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> throw it right down the middle. I think you'll win it all.
2: Yeah, and I could just remember. I could still remember. We're going back a long time, and I remember getting the ball, getting in my stance, turning around, and these guys
0: literally were on their knees. It's yeah. bowling, guys. Calm down. <laughs> please, please,
2: please, please.
0: Yes, are just killing know. time having fun out here. You're it's man, not a big you're, deal. You're
2: making me nervous here. <laughs> so I think there is something going on there. I think Todd Graham did it, too. I mean, and Rich Rod? Rich Rod was oh, Volcano boy. City on I the really sidelines. I really
0: enjoyed watching him. He was so entertaining.
2: <laughs> yes. There you go. Relax a little bit here, man. You've got to present some type of image to your players that's important. I mean, we all want to win. They all want to win badly. I get it. But still, man, Rich Rod, if you want explosion, Rich Rod was your guy.
0: We're out of time. Hands and Scotty are coming up next. See you Monday.